All right, you joined us for week three of AutoCorrect, and thank you all of you who have four-wheel drive or a lot of courage for joining us in person. And welcome to those of you who are watching online. Hey, in this series, we're learning about how God cares about every area of our lives. In fact, let's jump right in and look at the domains of our life. I don't know in your life which domain right now you could use God's help in, but as we're going through this series, we're learning that the reality that Jesus is God, that he died on the cross for our sins, that he wants to give us eternal life, but also peace and purpose in this life, it applies to every area of our lives. We learned last week how it applies to our finances. In upcoming weeks, we'll be learning how it applies to our family. We're learning how it applies to our careers. And today, we're learning that God is there in those times when life blindsides us. Now, I don't know if you've ever been blindsided, if you played a sport in high school or when you were younger and you're just running and someone just blindsides you out of nowhere and knocks you down. There's a TV show that does this and it's actually kind of funny, okay, because the people sign up for this. I don't know who signs up for this, but people sign up for this TV show called Wipeout. And I just love watching it and I don't, maybe I'm, I have a sickness inside or I'm a twisted individual, but I just think it's hilarious. Go ahead and watch this little clip from Wipeout with me. John, why does everybody still look up instead of, oh! My friend, even for our non-Olympic contestants, <laughs> pinball's a tricky game, especially when you're the ball. <laughs> 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 Touching everyone twice. So, so, you know, those contestants, they knew what they were signing up for, but the reality is you go through life long enough, and that happens to us, doesn't it? It happens when we get a cancer diagnosis, or it happens when someone we thought we could trust turns away from us, or it happens when the bottom falls out underneath us financially. And in our cases, we didn't sign up for it. We weren't expecting it. It seems to come out of nowhere. I know that's how I felt in the year 2014. I was doing my best to lead my family well and to serve God. And I had had a medical condition that had been progressing. And I won't bore you with the details, but it's one where I would get these stroke-like episodes and I would have to go to the emergency room. And they kept getting worse and worse. And it started to get to a point where even after I'd get out of the hospital, my brain would just be kind of foggy. And I started to really fear as a provider for my family and as a dad, am I going to be able to continue to do what I do and continue to make a living? I would lose my ability to speak and to write. And I remember in that time just calling out to God but not being immediately healed. And I remember feeling like there was nothing I could do. And maybe you can relate to that wherever life has blindsided you or knocked you down. Maybe it's something that a loved one is going through. Maybe it's something in your career, in your family, in one of those domains of life, you've been blindsided and you just feel like there's nothing you can do. What we do here every weekend at Connection Point is we wrestle with the hard questions of life and we always look into the word of God because God answers these questions. And here's the one we're wrestling with today. What can you do when a setback or a tragedy leaves you with nothing you can do? 
I mean, there's those situations where we can work a little harder, try a little harder, and, and we can kind of pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, but you live long enough and you get blindsided by something where there's just nothing you can do. I remember feeling that way as I laid in a hospital bed during that medical episode and just thinking, there, there's nothing I can do to heal myself. And the best doctors, they kind of say, well, you know, this is what it is and what it's called and pretty much we can't control it and it might just get worse for the rest of your life. And there was nothing I could do. Can anyone relate to that? Anyone else want to know God's answer to this question? Well, thankfully, we're not the first people who are seeking God and trying to follow him and wrestling with this question. Actually, the oldest book of the Bible, um, theologians and ancient manuscript experts believe the oldest book of the Bible, it didn't happen before Genesis, but it was written before Genesis, is about a guy who lived through this. And when I first really got serious about the Bible and started reading, I thought his name was Job like Steve Jobs, but it turns out it's pronounced Job. So let's look at Job's story and let's see God's answer to this question starting right at the beginning. There was once a man named Job. He lived in the land of Uz. He was blameless, a man of complete integrity. He feared God and stayed away from evil. Job had seven sons and three daughters. He owned, now in our modern context, this might sound weird, but this is a statement of wealth, okay? This is kind of like saying he had, you know, these different business franchises and these different assets, okay? He had 7,000 sheep, that's a lot of sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 teams of oxen, 500 female donkeys. He also had many servants. He was, in fact, the richest person in the area where he lived, now the story goes on and now the story zooms out, if you picture it like a movie, to a dimension that we don't see but exists every day and that is the spiritual dimension. And we're going to see that God who's looking down on creation has this adversary named Satan or the devil. He's a fallen or rebellious angel and here's where the story picks up. They've been watching Job. One day the members of the heavenly court came to present themselves before the Lord, before God. And the accuser, did you know that Satan's name primarily is the accuser? He's the accuser of you. He goes before God and says, here's where she sinned. Here's where he falls short. And on the other side, you have Jesus, fully God, who became human. Whoever lives at the Father's right hand, Hebrews 7 tells us, to intercede for us. So the moment you place your faith in Jesus, when the accuser comes and says, here's all the things he's done wrong, Jesus is right there to say, yeah, I paid for that too. I paid for that too. Now in this context, the accuser comes into God's presence and God says, where have you come from? Well, Satan answers, I've been patrolling the earth, watching everything that's going on. Did you know Satan, he's also called the prince of this world. And until Christ returns, at which point he'll chain Satan and throw him into the lake of fire, Satan is at loose in this world. And Jesus said in the Gospels that Satan came into this world for three purposes, to kill, to steal, and to destroy. So in your life, wherever there's destruction, wherever there's death, wherever there's uh, pain, those things come from Satan. Well, then the Lord asks Satan, have you noticed my servant Job? He's the finest man in all the earth. He's blameless. He's a man of complete integrity. 
he fears God and he stays away from evil. And Satan's going to reply, yeah, I've, I've seen Job, but Job has good reason to be such a good boy. It's because you give him everything he wants. You've always put a wall of protection around him. In other words, whenever I wanted to go and mess with Job, you wouldn't let me. So no wonder he likes you so much. You put a protection around his home and his property. You've made him prosper in everything he does. Look how rich he is. But Satan says this, if you, God, would reach out and take everything he has away, then he'll curse you to your face. Well, God says, I'm not going to take what he has away. But what I will do is I will remove my protection and I'll let you, who kill and steal and destroy, I'll let you test him. I'll let you take those things away from him and we'll see if he's still loyal to me and loves me or not. So Satan leaves the Lord's presence. Now there's 42 chapters in Job and I really wrestled with how, how do I summarize this story for you guys. So here's what Satan does. He goes out and through a series of natural disasters, which tells us Satan can't affect the weather. I'd never, you know, I, I've gone to seminary. I've read the Bible through a bunch of times. I was studying this. This is what I love about the word of God. You find new things every time you read it. I was like, whoa, Satan can control the weather when God allows him to because it's through a series of natural disasters, tornadoes and wildfires, as well as evil, moral evil, where people came in and stole that Job's fortune in a matter of days, gets completely wiped out. Here's a little graph of some of Job's assets. He had his 7,000 sheep. He had all these different things, including his children who were in a nice home. And one messenger after another comes and says, either a wildfire burned up this flock, or a tornado came in and knocked down your house, or some raiders came from a different country and they stole this flock. Satan terrorizes Job in every domain of his life. I asked you to think about the domains of your life. Let's look at the domains of Job's life. So Satan's gonna take away his kids, his career and his finances, that's his business and his assets. Satan wipes them out. His community, as this story goes on for 40 chapters, Job's closest friends are gonna turn on him. And they're gonna say, all these bad things are happening because you're not holy enough. You're not spiritual enough. And that's absolutely not the case. God wasn't taking this stuff away from Job because he was upset with Job. And God actually corrects those friends later on. But Job loses his community. He's about to lose his health. Uh, but he maintains through his faith in God, his belief in God. Let's pick up here where Satan continues destroying in chapter 1 verse 18 it says while a messenger was still speaking another one arrives and says your sons and daughters were feasting in their oldest brother's home suddenly a powerful wind swept in from the wilderness hit the house on all sides the house collapsed and all your children are dead I'm the only one who escaped to tell you so question how does Job respond when every domain of his life is devastated. Verse 20 tells us, Job stood up and tore his robe in grief. In other words, Job, he, he completely grieved. He didn't have some kind of fake spiritual, like, oh, everything's just going to be okay. He acknowledged how devastating the situation was. But as he grieves, he falls to the ground and he worships God. In the reality of his pain, he turns to God. 
Now keep in mind, Job doesn't know that Satan is the one doing this. For all he knows, it's God directly doing it. And thinking that, Job says this, I came naked from my mother's womb and I'll be naked when I leave. What's that mean? Well, what, he said, what he's saying is when I was born, I didn't own a bunch of sheep and businesses and homes and have children. I had nothing when I was born. And when I leave this world and die as an old man and go into the next life, I won't be taking any houses or riches or things with me. And so then Job says this, the Lord gave me everything I had. Every good thing in my life is from him. And Job says the Lord has taken it away. But then he says, even if it was God that took it away, I will praise the name of the Lord. So Satan's trying to get Job to turn away from God any way he can, and this doesn't work. So now Satan's gonna take it up a notch. And in chapter two, verse seven, Satan now attacks Job's health. And here's what verse seven says. Satan struck Job with terrible boils from his head all the way down to his feet. And in verse eight, says that Job scraped his skin with a piece of pottery as he sat among the ashes. I wanna just sit in that verse for a second. I want you to imagine your life and all your domains. And I want you to imagine that Satan comes in and he destroys every domain of your life. Your career's gone. Everything you've saved up financially is gone. Your house has burned down. And once you learn all this and your kids are dead, you get these boils all over your body, they're painful, and the doctors don't know how to make them go away. And you go and you check out where your house burned down and there's some old family china or some kind of dish and you're literally sitting in the ashes of your house and the only thing you can do to alleviate the pain on your skin is to take some of the broken pieces of your old china and scrape your own skin. This is where Job is, this is real. This is the moment he's in. He's at his most vulnerable. He's at his weakest. And I, I know probably very few of us have been this low, but we feel this low when any domain of our life gets blindsided. Job is so vulnerable right here. He's so weak. And now his closest friend is gonna come to him, his wife, and say, you should turn away from God. Verse nine, as they're sitting there in the ashes, Job's wife says to him, are you still trying to maintain your integrity? In other words, do you still believe God's good and looking out for us? Obviously he's not. And Job's wife says, curse God and die. In other words, forget God and give up. Forget God and just quit. It's just too hard. If God actually cared, we wouldn't be in this situation. So just forget him. Maybe he doesn't exist. Or if he does exist, he's not good. So just give up, curse God, and die. And to me, her response, it symbolizes one of only two responses that are available to us when we go through suffering. We either turn away from God like Job's wife did, or we turn toward God. When you're going through suffering, when you're blindsided in life, there's not a hundred choices. There's not even three or four. In my experience, when I was laying in that hospital bed, I had one of two choices. 
in my inner heart, I was either gonna turn away from God and say, you know what? He must not be looking out for me. He must not care. I can't really trust him. Or I was gonna flip the switch the other way and say, I don't understand it. I don't get it but I'm gonna choose with my free will, I'm gonna choose to keep turning toward God. I'm gonna choose to keep believing that he's good. I'm gonna choose to believe that he can bring good even from this. And Job makes that choice. He replies to his wife and he says this, don't talk like a fool. If we accept blessings from God, we must accept trouble as well. And in all that happened, Job never once said anything against God. So here in Job's response is the answer to our question, what can you do when there's nothing you can do? There was nothing Job could do here. He, he couldn't instantly rebuild his house or his fortunes or somehow have his kids. I mean, there was nothing he could do. But he does the one thing you can do when there's nothing you can do and it's this, he turned toward God. You see, when it feels like there's nothing you can do in your suffering, there's always one thing you can do, and it's to turn toward God. It's, it's, it's really that simple at the beginning. And just like a fork in the road, you know, when you're driving and there's two different roads, and right there where they meet, they're very close, but every mile you go down those two different roads, it takes you in totally, radically different directions, and it's the same with this. It just starts in the heart of saying, God, as I'm going through this divorce, or I'm going through this bankruptcy, or I'm going through this cancer treatment, I'm grieving the loss of this child or of my parent. You have this choice in your heart that no one else can make to say, I'm either gonna turn toward God like Job did or like Job's wife, I'm gonna turn away from God. And that choice, that fork in the road, it looks so close, but it leads to two radically different destinations. One leads to hope. Another leads to hopelessness. One leads to life. Another leads to death. And I just want to encourage you today, whatever you're going through, you can make this choice. Sometimes we think, well, I, other people can make that choice because what they're going through isn't quite as hard as what I'm going through. But as I've journeyed through suffering, I met people who went through the most horrendous things in life. Quadriplegics who are paralyzed from the neck down. Who've chosen to turn to God. And in it, they've found hope. They've found life. They've found peace. And I've also met people who really what they went through wasn't that hard compared to a lot of people, but they chose to turn away from God like Job's wife did, and it led them not to a place of hope, but to a place of despair. Well, you guys remember that wipeout, that little wipeout clip I showed you? And I like this picture of a guy in the wipeout TV show because his expression to me captures what I feel like when I'm going through a difficulty in life. You're just trying to hang on. And I know some of you are watching or you're in here today and that's how you feel. You're just, you're just trying to survive. You're just trying to make it. And I want to encourage you that whenever you make that choice in your heart to turn toward God, he will always, one day at a time, give you something to hang on to. And it's just enough for that day. You know, Jesus taught us to pray for our daily bread. He will give you every day something to hang on to. And he'll get you through the day. I want to share with you briefly 
a few things that God provides when you turn toward him. Now there's hundreds of these, so I'm just gonna share with you five of them. The first one is that God provides for you a foundation in the storm. A foundation in the storm. Job's life was built on a solid foundation that he had a strong relationship with God. And when the storm of life came in and it destroyed everything that was built on his foundation, the foundation was still there. And as Job's story goes on, God rebuilds on that foundation. And when you choose to turn to God, you can have an immovable foundation even in the storms of life. God also gave Job more answers than he expected. I can't go through all of them in the 42 chapters of Job, but God does give some answers. And in my suffering with my medical condition, at the beginning, I, a lot of well-intentioned Christians said, well, there's just some things we'll never understand. And that's true, there are some things we'll never understand. But I was surprised as I dug into scripture how much God does explain about the fall and Satan and where pain comes from. And that through Jesus, God is in this massive story of making everything right. And so we know everything will be set right in the end. He gives you strength to persevere one day at a time. He gives you peace in your suffering. And this is especially unique as followers of Christ. We actually have something that Job didn't have. We have the very spirit of God living within us. And we've got a whole series of content on this we'll give you later. But the spirit of God is called the comforter, the counselor. And the spirit of God, the moment you place your faith in Jesus, comes to live inside you. And the word of God describes him as a friend who puts an arm around you. And when you're going through grief, when you're going through tragedy, there's a supernatural inner peace that even though your circumstances are devastating, you know inside it's gonna be okay and that you're gonna make it and that in the end, everything will be made right. It's not something you can work up on your own, but as a follower of Christ, it's something you can learn to claim and experience. You can also have hope for your future. In other words, you know that just like a mom endures the pains of birth, knowing it'll be worth it for that child who will grow up, and those temporary birth pains, as excruciating as they are, will be worth the lifelong joy of a child. God helps us through the word of God and through brothers and sisters who come around us and through the spirit within us to understand that we're in the birth pains right now of living in a broken world and that the time is coming when we will look back from heaven or we will look back from a place where God has set everything right and restored us and we'll say it was worth it. I never would have wanted it, but I wouldn't change it because of how it ends. There's a hope for our future. And that's how Job's story ends. In Job chapter 42, I'll just summarize the chapter and say that God restored all the domains of Job's life. And I'd encourage you to read for yourself. It's very dramatic. God actually doubles everything. So we had 7,000 sheep. He has 14,000 sheep. God doubles everything. And in Job's case, it happened during his life. Now, sometimes as followers of Christ, God does restore what's broken in our lives. That can happen. There's other times where we cling to the promise that in the next life, which is infinitely longer, that he will restore it there. 
So we don't know. Is God going to restore what I've lost in this life or in the next? We don't always know which, but we do know that he will. And that's what faith is. And it's a faith that can carry you through anything. Jesus told his followers this. He said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. So as followers of Christ, yes, we do have hope in this life. God will work all things together for good. But our greatest hope is not in this world, it's out of this world. It's that Jesus has overcome the world. Well, I want to share with you a true story of a couple right here in our church family who were walking through two devastating crises at the same time. And they had this choice to make. Would they turn away from God or toward God? And I love this story because they're real about the fact that that is such a hard choice to make. And I want you to watch their story with me together. Seven years ago, Travis and I started our journey with infertility. Injections and pills and lots of failed pregnancy tests, lots of disappointments found out April 1st that we were pregnant with our first child. Couldn't wait to tell him. I was just bouncing around the house in joy. All of our numbers kept rising. We went every week for 10 weeks to the doctor and saw an ultrasound of our little peanut. So this is the hardest part of the story for me is while this was going on, my dad was diagnosed with leukemia. So my dad was terminally ill in December. They gave him three months to live. Um, it was a Saturday and I, that week my dad was declining very quick. Chelsea had uh, had some pregnancy troubles and we went to the ER. To this day I will never forget the scream that I had for Travis to wake up um, because at that moment I knew that we had already lost our baby. We were kind of homebodies that whole day, or that whole weekend, the same weekend that my dad kind of took a turn for the worst. The night before, we had spent the night with Kip and stayed by his side because we knew that he only had hours left with us and we wanted to spend every moment that we could with him. He passed away at 6.21 in the morning. My surgery was scheduled for like I don't know, one or something like that. We had to be at the hospital at like 11, but Travis didn't want me to reschedule it. He knew that we needed to get it taken care of. We lost our child and I lost my father. And... Our doctor told us, you know, 99% chance that everything goes great. Everything's looking good. We had appointments every week. How in six days did it go from that to not being able to hear our little baby's heartbeat? I mean, I've had my fair shares of being angry at God during our infertility and during miscarriage, and I've had a lot of ugly moments and a lot of questions, but he's never left us and he has never failed us. But at the time, it was hard to see that. Our small group was amazing through all of this, um, constantly texting us, asking us if we needed anything. They brought us meals. They brought me lots of chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they, yeah, they made sure our well, our personal well-being was good. They'd come over and spend a couple hours with us because they knew we were in a dark place. I had lost kind of my 
my smile, my way of just going about life and thinking positively about anything. So I finally started to write um, a new scripture on our mirror upstairs every day that we both had to look at and I'd leave it up there for a week or so before I'd change it again. And during that time, um, the song Thy Will by Hilary Scott had came out and that was about her miscarriage and that song just break, broke me down every time I heard it. I would blare it through this house day in and day at night just that kind of helped give me the hope and courage um, a few months after that in July the end of July beginning of August I had just randomly taken a pregnancy test I don't even know why I took one we haven't seen any infertility treatments um, haven't even seen our doctor so I took one and it was positive and I about fainted <laughs> Paisley is nine months old now uh, we say, I think, daily how amazing it is just watching her grow and how much she's changed. I was just looking at pictures yesterday of her. It's a whole nother world and we are so blessed to be able to watch her grow every day and like just thinking that for so long we never thought any of the, these things would happen in our house. It's been completely life-changing and I wouldn't take a single day of it away. So I wouldn't change anything. When Travis and Chelsea really felt like there was nothing they could do, they did the one thing that you can always do and they chose to turn toward God. They had lots of questions that weren't answered they had lots of pain that wasn't resolved. They had lots of frustration and even anger with God and feeling like God had let them down. And in all of that, they made a choice. And they said, God, we're gonna choose to keep turning to you. And you heard it as Chelsea explained it. It was a daily choice. One day at a time to say, God, I'm, I'm gonna keep choosing you like Job did. I'm gonna keep trusting you. I don't know what's going on. I don't understand it, but I'm not gonna turn away from you. I loved how she explained some of the specific ways that that choice in her heart showed up in her physical world. She said that they would listen to those Christian songs with truths from scripture. She said that she would physically write down a verse about God's faithfulness and she'd put it up on the mirror in their bathroom and they would read that and they would put that into their heart. She described their small group here at Connection Point and how their group walked with them, cried with them, brought them food, brought them chocolate, just said, we will sit in the ashes with you. We didn't have time to explain it fully in the video, but we have a infertility and miscarriage group here. And that was another one of the ways that Travis and Chelsea said, God, we'll turn toward you. We'll go to that group and we'll be with other people who know the pain that we're going through. And what I wanna do now is, I wanna just give you some tools like that. Only you can choose in your heart if you wanna turn toward God. 
but if you do, we wanna just give you a few of those tools today. And the first is a study on suffering. It's called I Am Strong, and some of you were here for this entire series. It's a five-week teaching where we go very deep into these issues of why hasn't God healed me? Or why does he allow pain and suffering? And I'll give you a number you can text in a moment, or you could just internet search I Am Strong Connection Point. And you can find this video teaching and with it is this study guide where whether you go through it by yourself or with your small group or with a spouse or someone you love, for every teaching there are these reflection questions that just help you choose to turn to God. You can find that online or we could text it to you today. Here's how, if you text the word hope to this number 317-350-1996, We'll send that study to you. It's completely free. It's just something we want to give you to help you. Travis and Chelsea, I mentioned they were part of our miscarriage and infertility support group. We've got other groups for divorce care, for grief care, for loss of a loved one, for all sorts of the different ways that life blindsides us. And if you'd like to get into one of those groups, you can just text the word grief to this same number, 317 350-1996 and we'll tell you about the different groups that we offer. We also want to give you today some tools you can take with you to help you right where the pain is in your life. So there's two different books that we've got out in the lobby and if you're a new guest with us we want to give you these for free. If you're a regular with us we're selling these at the printing cost so there's no one's making any money on these okay. We want to give these away especially if you're our guest we just want to give it to you or if you're hurting and you can't afford the printing cost we want to just give it to you. So the one is called I Am Strong. The other a gal in our congregation named Sarah wrote a book called Prayers for Hope and Healing and each prayer is a very specific prayer for the times when you doubt God or you're trying to choose him but you're having to battle through that. Well the most important decision of Job's life, the fork in the road that led to his ultimate restoration was the choice to turn toward God. And so I just want to take us back to that as we close. Today, will you choose to turn toward God with your pain? That's my heart for you as a friend, as a brother, as a pastor, is to say, I'm not going to pretend I understand what you're going through. I'm not going to say I know how it feels. I've been through some hard stuff, but I don't know exactly how you feel. But the God who made you does. And he has a plan to heal, to restore And until then, to sustain you and to give you peace and to give you something to hold on to every day of your journey. Can I pray that for you now? Almighty God, we thank you that you are near to the brokenhearted. We thank you that you uphold those who are crushed in spirit. Lord, we thank you that for every tragedy of this life, there is a future celebration of how you will turn it for good. Lord, just like Travis and Chelsea, as they went through the grief of the loss of a child and the loss of a parent, they chose to turn to you. And Lord, in the end, you restored, you've given them a child in this life. You've given eternal life to Travis's dad and they're gonna spend eternity together. God, Job, when everything was ripped away from him by the enemy, the accuser of our souls, he chose to turn to you. 
And in time, you restored it all. And God, in this room, Lord, there's just so much pain. We, we carry it in with us. Some of the pain is from our distant past. Some of it is from our very present reality. It affects and infects every domain of our lives. And God, when just one of those life domains is filled with pain, it, it bleeds around to all the domains of life. And God, we're just trying to follow you. We're trying to serve you. And Lord, I know everyone who's watching, listening, and in this room, they're here because they want your help. And you tell us, Lord, you're eager to help, that if we seek you, we'll find you if we search with our hearts. You promise that you restore our souls. You promise that you work all things together for good. You promise that our eyes haven't seen, our minds haven't even imagined the good future you have for all of us who love you and are loved by you. And so Lord, would you just fill our hearts with hope today? Would you just move our wills today that we would choose to turn toward you?